This is the Saddled Stallion Podcast, where men are equipped and encouraged to understand their wiring, clarify their mission, and find purpose along the path to its fulfillment. I'm your host, Chad Kanyer, and I'm stoked to have you here. Let's roll. Hey guys, let me ask you something. Have you thought about your funeral? That is one way to start a podcast episode. Have you thought about your funeral? But I think it's actually a very important question for you to ask yourself. What do you want the culture of your funeral to be? How do you want people to summarize your life? If there's only five people, six people, 10 people, I don't know how long your funeral is going to be, that are going to talk about your life, what do you want them to say? What do you want the culture of your funeral to be? Is it going to be more of a party or do you want it to be super morose and dark? And you want people leaving as soon as they can (laughs) or do you like staying the obligatory hour or whatever it is? Can you tell I haven't been to many funerals? Or do you want people celebrating? You want people partying into the night and just sharing stories of what it was like to live alongside of you and just enjoying the fact that, hey, I remember... Chad was talking about you in this situation, and I'm so glad we finally met or whatever. What do you want the culture of your funeral to be? You know, and I think it's going to challenge the right questions of how we live our lives, right? Like for me, it's crazy how different my vision for my funeral is with how I live my life. At least I view it that way. When I think about my funeral day, there are so many challenges to current day chat that I I give myself. Like I leave those mental map sessions with a lot of challenges. And I, to be frank, I feel like I forget about those challenges within hours. But I think it's great questions for us to ask ourselves. And this episode is really not about our funerals, but it's about lessons I've learned from other people's funerals or other people's dyings, if you win, but other people's deaths. Three deaths that I've experienced in my life, and it will not be a dark episode. It will be a reflective episode and hopefully a helpful episode as I unpack three things I learned from losing three people, varying degrees of closeness with these people. And hopefully just a wide variety of experiences come to light in your world that echo some of the things that I'm going to share. These deaths have given me gifts from the grave, lessons on life from someone who's on the other side based on the emotional toll, based on the emotional experience that I had dealing with that, unpacking that relationship or lack thereof and that death. Gifts from the grave. My first one's kind of a weird one. I was in college and I think it was over Thanksgiving break. It was one of those short breaks where living in Pennsylvania for school, but being from Seattle, Washington and having my family there, you know, you you consternate on like, should I go home for this one? Because I'm only going to be home for what, 36 hours. Like how good is mom's cooking? Like, is it worth that much flying and that much money, which, you know, it's, I'm caring for the family there. Like, Hey, maybe I saved the family some money. But it's like that question of like, should I come home for this one? And the decision was, no, I should not come home for this one in particular. And so there's a subset of students that are on campus, right? I think there's 5,000 undergrad students at the college I went to. So 
I knew literally there were probably like 400 people on campus. And so we all wound up, not we all, like all of us like sent out an email and went to the one house for a party. But anyway, there was a fraternity house that had a party and it had a random collection of people. I think I only knew like three people there, but we were having a good time. It was kind of a cool experience because these are people that you normally didn't hang out with, right? Because of the subset effect based on the holiday. And so you're hanging out with people that you know, there was a guy in the soccer team and there was a guy in the basketball team. There's a guy who didn't play sports, who was in a random fraternity, who I had class with. So it was like a chance to get to know him better. And just a kind of a unique combination of people. We were having a good time doing what college kids do, which is drink way too much and play games that stimulate the activity of drinking way too much. And I'll just cut to the chase. Someone died that night. One of the students died that night. I had probably had a five-minute conversation with the guy. A group of us were all conversing on these couches in this one room. And, you know, we just carried on drinking. And then at one point, he kind of passed out on the couch. And no one really thought anything of it. They're like, oh, he's super sleepy or whatever. And then he started frothing at the mouth. And we didn't really know what to do. And so we took him to his bedroom I held his arms. I took him to his bedroom. I'm like, oh, he just needs to sleep. We followed the advice we got in high school where we put him in his bed and then we turned him on his side, right? We put pillows behind one edge of his back so that he wouldn't um, regurgitate, like he wouldn't vomit and then choke on it. So we were being super smart and responsible, right? Even though we were all like seven drinks deep at that point. It's like actually really hard to tell this story. Um, And then we found out the next day that he died. Never woke up. I remember my dad calling me and screaming at me just out of fear, like being a father now, understanding what was going on there. It was just fear. Just you're drinking way too much. You guys are idiots. Like you have families. This is just stupid. This is, I'm so mad at you for being in those situations. He's just scared. And I can't believe I had that close of an interaction with a kid who had just died. Right. I mean, it was like one of those, like, no way, like you can't believe that kind of thing. So what's the lesson from that? I think I'm learning that now, even though in college it was just like, wow, super unfortunate situation. Like you just kind of go on living your life. You don't really know how to deal with that. And it's just tragic, right? But I think the lesson there is we're closer to death than we think. And I'm actually not talking about physical death, like our bodies dying, like, getting hit by a truck, dying of cancer. I'm not talking about things that take us out of this world. I'm talking about things that jeopardize our soul. It's a metaphor. Sometimes I think we're gambling with life and we're calling it checkers. There are things that we don't consider serious in our lives because everyone's doing them. We don't see the toll that they're taking on our souls because it's normal. They are widely accepted and so they can't be that bad. Even if you think about binge drinking in college, a lot of kids die to binge drinking in college. Good thing our bodies are so resilient when we're younger, like we can handle a lot of that, but there's kids overdosing and drinking themselves to death more now than there ever has been. There's people going and just getting marijuana because it's like, yeah, it's no big deal smoking some weed and dying because it's laced with some drug they had no idea it was laced with. 
And so we're just, we're innocent kids running around and this is just us sowing our wild oats, right? And we're just being kids. What if you just died because of that? And I'm actually not trying to like parent here. I'm trying to ask you, could there be an area in your life where you're pushing it, but because others are also, it just doesn't feel dangerous? And that's a question that you just have to ask yourself because when you die from that thing or when you lose a best friend to that thing, the question will not be, how could that happen to me? The question will be, why the hell was I doing that? Why was I putting myself in that situation? And again, I'm not just talking about things that can take our physical bodies away. I'm talking about things that can steal our souls. I'm talking about innocent little habits that can turn into addictions. I mean, we used to go to the casino. This is after college. We didn't have any money in college, so going to the casino was even more ridiculous than it was in my early career. We used to go to the casino. We'd drive a little bit. We'd probably have to drive two and a half hours or whatever and go to the casino, and we'd play blackjack and poker, but mostly blackjack because we can all count to 21. It's like one of the only things we can do at that age. Maybe that's the rule. Once you hit 21, you can finally count to 21 so you can go play blackjack. And some of us got a little bit into it. It was just kind of fun. We're at the casino, have a few drinks, play some blackjack. Ah, I lost 200 bucks. Bummer, which is wrong. It's not cool to lose money. And gambling is a major issue. A lot of people are addicted to gambling. And it's okay now, right? DraftKings and all this stuff. It's like now that the NFL can figure out how to make money off gambling, now gambling's okay. Very dangerous waters, gambling. It will hook your soul more than alcohol will. Just as much as alcohol will, I I will say. More than porn will. More than using women will. More than narcotics and drugs will. Equal amounts. We just don't talk about it because everyone's doing it. It's all good. Everyone's making money, right? It will become an enslavement. As it did some of my friends, they ended up being at the high roller tables losing thousands of dollars per hand in blackjack, going to the ATM and using credit cards to take cash loan advances. By the way, the interest rate on that, I think was like 25%. And there was a ca- and there was just a, a percentage fee to pull the cash out of the ATM, especially at a casino. Can you imagine what that fee would be? To continue playing at the high roller table at a casino blackjack when you're 24 years old, you only make $55,000 a year. That was probably a situation where we were, quote unquote, gambling and legitimately gambling. And because other people were doing it, we just didn't take it very seriously. Yeah, that's fine. Call it stupidity as a young guy. That's fine. But you know what? If you're in the whole $70,000, that stupidity is going to be taking a toll for the next 5, 10, maybe even 15 years. Good luck digging yourself out of that hole. You're gambling and you're playing like it's checkers. That's what that death taught me. And honestly, I don't think I ever really took those kind of things seriously until it was me taking care of others in my life, right? Where I'm no longer just responsible for myself. The stakes are much higher now. Oh, I didn't even mean to tie that back into gambling. But the stakes are way, way higher in life. And are you willing to gamble? Are you willing to continue your addiction? Are you willing to continue that thing that you, it's it's clearly a dangerous thing that you just won't oust from your life and just 
jeopardize the people who are put under your care to do that? Like, and by the way, if you're even considering trying to preserve something dangerous in your life, even though you have more put under you, more you are responsible for, doesn't that prove it's an issue? The second death happened, what, three years ago now? Maybe two years ago. It's relatively recent. There's a guy named Taylor, and he was at my church in Dallas. I hung out with Taylor a few times. I probably hung out with Taylor about four times. He was dating a friend of ours. I think they'd broken up or something. And this was tough because he committed suicide. And two weeks before he committed suicide, I believe... I had written a song, and I know nothing about writing songs. I mean, I'm good with lyrics and stuff, but I don't know how to write music. I don't know how to take the, the words and make it a song. Like, I have a song in my head, but I need people who are actual musicians to sit with me and convert it into a reproducible song, something that you could play on stage, right? And so I got together with Taylor and Eric, and it was a Sunday. I think it was like 2 p.m. Probably was, because that's when my kids nap, and that's when I'm free on the weekends. So I drove over to his place. It was, I don't know, someplace near Dallas. He had a house. And we go inside, we're hanging out, and we start working on this song, and he's popping White Claws, which is like, I'm not judging you. I drink White Claws. But he had like four of them in an hour. Like he was drinking, right? Kind of wanted to say something. Didn't really know him very well. It wasn't just that. He kind of had a spirit of angst. He looked at his place and it just wasn't very taken care of. It was like there was crap everywhere. This is a kid that was like, he's involved in the church. He's actually collaborating with other people in the church at that point to make an album that represents like our church. Pretty small church. Eric and him were both on kind of on staff to help out. And to, to they were working together on that album. And so I kind of got this vibe of like, he might need help or he's struggling with something or he's medicating something or like maybe he just needs someone to talk to. But I kind of, I just didn't say anything. And I I think one of my gifts is that I say things. I think one of my curses is that I say things also. You ever hear anyone tell you that your greatest assets on steroids are your greatest problems? (laughs) Like, that is the story of my life. And so I didn't say anything that day, and I kind of knew I should have. He was hiding the fact that he was smoking cigarettes for me. Like, dude, I do not care. I was addicted to cigarettes in college and after college. I probably smoked half a pack a day when I was 22 years old. I'm not judging you because you're going to go outside and have a cigarette. You don't need to tell me you're going to the bathroom. I'm also not a moron. When you come back and you're smelling like cigarettes, and I'm kind of like, this guy's sucking down white claws in front of me at 2 p.m. on a Sunday, and he's embarrassed about having cigarettes? Like, that's so weird, you know? Like, I don't care. But the fact, you know what I mean? Like, little things like that, like, why are you hiding that? And then he kills himself two weeks later. The gift from that grave is they might need you more than you think. Someone might be closer to something bad than you think. It is our responsibility to be perceptive on where the people in our lives are. 
and to act when we feel that something's out of whack. Have you ever had anybody pull you aside and express care and concern with you? And I'm not talking about your mom or your dad, right? Because that's different. That's a different dynamic. You think they're managing you, right? Like you think they are parenting and it's annoying. And hell, even if someone pulls you aside and you're originally annoyed, like even if it's not your mom or your dad and they're pulling you aside and they're like, hey, I've just noticed this thing with you and I just want to make sure you're okay. It might be annoying for about the first 5% of it, right? Because you're like, ugh, get off my case. But the other 95% is, oh, they care. I have a real friend. I have someone who's going to lean in and speak into my life. Even if they're wrong, like they're perceiving things. They're watching me. They care. So many of us are either so dismissive of our issues, we're so concealing of our issues, or we are so bold about our issues, almost like braggatory about, that's a word by the way, a braggatory about our issues that we don't really call anybody out on issues or we don't even like express concern when we're seeing marked signs of degeneration, of misusing money, of misusing time, of hanging out with the wrong people, of making bad decisions, of binge, whatever activity, binging anything. We don't call each other out anymore and it can be loving. It's not calling each other out. It's caring. It's, <laughs> it's being involved in each other's lives and having a stake in the other person's existence. It's not disrespect. It's concern. And if you're doing it to their face, it's genuine. It's authentic. It's transparent. Why do we have an issue with that? I think a lot of us have an issue with that because we have undealt with issues with ourselves. If someone calls out something that I know is wrong with me, but I'm not dealing with it, I get defensive and I call them a judge. Maybe we need to be quote unquote judged. Maybe we need someone to express concern. Maybe Taylor needed me to be a real friend, even though I was a new friend. And say, hey man, why are you drinking so hard? And why are you hiding that you're smoking cigarettes? You know I don't care, man. I love you. Like, you don't have to do any of that with me. What's going on, man? Like, you want to talk about something? I usually drink like crazy when I'm dealing with something and I don't want to talk about it. I usually, <laughs> I usually ran through cigarettes when I just felt like I could never slow down. I feel like there was too much going on in my life. I just had to chase and run and go and... It's like sleep was a chore to like convince myself to sleep. That's when I start smoking cigarettes. Anything going on there? Like I've been there. Can, you want to talk about anything? You know, there's healthier ways to deal with your stuff, right? Wow. I've never seen anybody in my life step in like that, step up like that. I want to be like that. And honestly, I don't deal with not having the boldness to do it. I usually have too much boldness, my wife will tell you. I have issues with the tact. I have issues with the worry that they will be hurt by my concern, that I'll come across judgy, that I'll come across flippant, that I just won't manage it right. But I think we are falling for that trick. I think that we are listening to that fear too much. We don't say anything. I'm not saying I would have had a huge impact on the guy, okay? I'm not saying I could have saved him. I don't think I 
I just don't know if I have that much impact. I, I, don't, I don't even know if he would have trusted me enough to let me in or whatever, but at least he would know someone cared. Maybe that would have sustained him in the moment where he pulled the trigger or whatever it was. I don't even know. Maybe he would have said, well, someone cares. I matter. Haunts me. Could there be something you need to say you're not saying because you don't want to say it? It's uncomfortable. Have you convinced yourself that you'll screw it up? You can't screw it up. You can't screw it up. If your heart is in the right place, you can't screw it up. And just say, hey, I don't want to screw this up. But I care. It's okay to care about stuff. I feel like the only times we care about things in this generation is when we're trying to prove the world that we're worthy. That's unacceptable. We need to care about things because we care about things. And the fact that you care about things that aren't about yourself, yeah, that should be proof point number one that it's a good thing to care about. You don't benefit. Others do. What do you care about? What do you speak up about? Does all that benefit you? Third gift from the third grave is my grandfather. I've talked about this before. It's one of my first episodes. I was young. I think I was like 10 when he died. I didn't have a great relationship with him. I didn't, not, it wasn't bad or anything. I just didn't really know him very well. He's kind of a reserve type. I was young, the youngest of three kids. We didn't hang out with him a ton, but Grandpa Eddie was great. He just was cool. He was chill. He had respect for him. He always had a cool smile on, but he wasn't a big talker or anything. So when he died, it was kind of like, okay, that sucks. Sorry for my dad, and I feel bad for him, and that must be so hard. But then I went to the funeral, and I'll never forget. It was this big church. At least I was a kid, so it felt big. I was in the front row, because that's where family sits. And I was sitting with my uncle, because my dad was going to go speak. And a lot of people were saying different things and all that, and then giving their speeches, and I was pretty emotional. I was kind of emotional. But then my dad got up there started talking. He hadn't said more than three words and I lost it. Like absolutely lost it. Heaving crying, like an embarrassing level. My uncle had his hand on my neck. He was trying to tell me it was okay. He was crying too, but not as aggressively. And I was like a werewolf. It was pretty bad. And I was confused when I was crying. I was like, why does this matter so much to me? I thought it didn't matter very much to me. And I don't know if there was a connection with my dad there or something. Maybe I was envisioning him dying, probably, and just the pain. I mean, I love my dad. So, like, maybe that was hard for me to visualize. I just don't think that was it, though. There's something else going on. I think we underestimate how much we care about certain things. A lot. I mean, I I know, especially men. We just don't. We don't think about the things that we know are going to hurt to think about. We'll put it off for years. We'll put it off for decades. We just don't want to go there. It just hurts too much. We're really missing out. What that taught me, and I really do feel like it changed me, was that we might care more than we think. 
that life is too short to avoid feeling the hard things so that we can overcome them, so that we can learn more about ourselves through that pain. Sometimes our pain is one of the greatest illuminators of what's going on and who we are. Sometimes we need to feel something to figure out who we are and what matters to us. Because so much is lost in the day-to-day, right? So much is, I got a meeting, like I just don't have time to think about it. We compartmentalize, we move on, we prioritize. Sometimes that really giving yourself a chance to feel is like reconnecting with your humanity, reconnecting with your identity, reconnecting with your roots, the dynamics of your childhood home, things that we need to unpack. I'm begging you to unpack them. I am still learning so much about who I am and I've been digging for years unapologetically into who I am. If you know me, you know Chad does not have an issue asking the hard questions of others and himself. And I still am not to the bottom of this pit called my soul. And I just, I've experienced so much freedom from asking the hard questions and sitting and waiting for answers and journaling and asking deeper questions. And the, but why? Why do I feel that way? Why do I feel the need to achieve so much? Why does it matter so much what so-and-so person thinks of me? They have no history with me. They have no bearing on my future. Why do I care so much about what that person thinks? Why do I burn out trying to prove X or Y or Z to some pure person? Why are certain things so hard for me to appreciate? Why are some things so hard for me to focus on? What am I scared of? Am I scared of failure? Am I scared of success? Just the, the hard questions. I'll tell men right now, all the men listening, you care deeply about how your father saw you or sees you. It is wired in you to care. And so the question is not whether you will be living impacted by that. It's not the question. The decisions you make, the way you process information, the way you handle situations will be impacted by how your father treated you, how he saw you, how he interacted with you. So the only thing, the only difference, and one that you might be avoiding is your awareness of that. Your awareness of that influence. And I know some of you out there are saying, I have a great relationship with my dad. I'm not worried about it wouldn't change a thing about what I just said to you. There's no perfect father. Not with flesh. There's no perfect father. There's no such thing as a relationship without wounds. What you've gone through impacts your experience. It impacts your decisions. Whether good or bad. And you need to take stock. You need to know these things. Flying blind and avoiding the emotion associated with those things, you're just hurting yourself. When you conceal a knife 
It doesn't become dull. So the question there is this. Could you be avoiding pain somewhere? Just not wanting to deal with it. Just not wanting to go there. Deal with it later. Let me just tell you, you're saying no thanks to freedom. You're saying no thanks. I'm all good on knowing yourself. Knowing what makes you tick. You'll make better decisions in the future with knowledge of the past. If you start to clearly view yourself internally, it will clarify your view externally. And by unearthing and healing and dealing with some of the pain that you need to deal with, you will avoid both experiencing that pain over and over and over and over again and causing that pain to others because hurt people hurt people. So those are the gifts from the grave, things I've learned from people that I've lost, whether it's a an acquaintance that I barely built anything with or my grandfather. I don't think any of us can really predict the way we're impacting people's lives. I don't think any of us can really proactively understand what's going to be said at our funerals, how our stories impacted people. I think we'll just have to wait and we'll have to listen. And I definitely don't think that we have any insight into how our deaths themselves will impact people. I don't know if there's going to be some guy in 40 years, gosh, am I only going to live another 40 years? Maybe. Talking about what my death did for him. What gift I'm giving from my grave. I definitely don't have the visibility into that. But I think by answering the questions that I've put out today based on my experiences, based on the the graves that I have insight into, I think your funeral will be better. At least your knowledge of what kind of funeral you want will be clearer. So are there areas where we're just pushing it? We've got a lot of chips on the table. We're gambling with big things jeopardizing everything we've been given. Gifts, relationships, people under our care, our health, our mental health, our future, jeopardizing good friendships for the wrong ones, etc. And playing with those chips like it's freaking checkers. Are there any areas in your life where you're avoiding the knowledge of I am playing with fire? What are you going to do about that? Is it worth it? If it's worth it, it proves that it has you. Could there be something you need to say to somebody that you simply haven't to be polite, to be appropriate, to not offend? Purposeful manhood is saying what you need to say to love someone else. Doing what you need to do 
to love others. It is cowardly to not say the thing that you know in your spirit needs to be said. I challenge you to say it. And you can disclaim the hell out of it. You can say, I really don't want to ruffle feathers here. I really don't want to do anything wrong, but I just really feel like I need to say something to be a true friend, to be a good boss, to be a good son, whatever. Maybe it'll go better than you think. You're doing the right thing. And thirdly, could you be avoiding pain somewhere and really losing the opportunity for growth and for freedom? A little heavy today. A little heavy here. Okay? I'm aware. These are gifts from the grave. Sometimes painful, always purposeful. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Saddled Stallion Podcast. That's it, guys. Be strong, be humble, walk in purposeful manhood. Mm -hmm.